0: Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. Stop moving it, man. (laughs) Just messing with you. We are back. Coffee with the Johns, episode 10, season 2. A lot going on. Today we're going to be covering a lot about NFTs and how that's starting to play into the real estate market. We're gonna be talking about um the new FHA guidelines for investors. We're gonna be talking about tax uh Joe Biden's new tax plan and how every, that's gonna affect time. yeah, LLCs and uh he's he's the whole thing is already just everything is targeting investors, it's targeting the middle class. I mean, it's uh it's gonna be very interesting. So we have a lot to cover. I'd love to hear uh, your guys' feedback as we Go through all this, kind of your point of view. So put it in the chat. We'll be watching it. And um yeah, with that being said, I'm your host, John Barbera, and our co-host, Mr. John. I want to play with the mic stand bar. Sup. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, sir? Good. Doing good, man. Crazy week. So today, I mean, I'm not running the whole show, so it's kind of eerie giving up control for a control freak we have our videographer, uh, director Dre Day, that's over here just running in the back end. T- you
1: actually have to pay attention. You, you fit I actually have thing. to listen
0: to the crap that you say. This is going to be interesting. But um, yeah, rude. so wow. any technical difficulties or anything, we can blame Dre. So I think that, that feels better. But it's always your fault. It's always going to be my fault. But we can still attempt to blame Dre. <laughs> um, how's your week been, man? Uh, a crazy week yeah
1: good busy adjusting into the, the the new time schedule of the sun coming up and down i was like man
0: driving here is like well the, the sun has o- always come up and down though yeah
1: yeah I just <laughs> uh the time frame of that a new adjustment of sleep schedule is also one of the things i was driving here i was leaving my place at like six 55, 7 o'clock and you see the sun coming up i was like I wish shit was like an hour earlier and the sun up this early i like the sun coming up early yeah i was like when it's like seven o'clock and it's still like basically dark outside i'm like
0: dude up until like eight it's still well right now until yeah, It's pretty sunny out right now at eight o'clock right up, up until eight is what usually when it stays you know kind of dark and i wake up at 5 a.m and it gets really you know it's just kind of like what the hell and then what's funny is my kids it gets a little harder to put them to sleep earlier because i'm still up the sun is still up. So, you know, my boy last night, usually we were putting him to sleep at like 7.30. And yesterday, it was like 9 o'clock. He was wide awake. He was just like, the sun is up. I'm not tired. Yeah. I mean, so, I guess
1: as a kid, I enjoyed it. It was like, yeah, the sun was up until like 9, 9.30 at night. Yeah. Like, oh, this is cool. It's light. I can do things longer. But now as an adult, I'm like, I'm go down so I can it, come it, up early. It
0: messes with your time. For me, sleep it messes with my my sleep cycle because I like waking up early, but- the sun taking so long to go to sleep, I don't get tired. The sun going. To sleep. At the sun going to sleep. <laughs> the sun going the down. Sun going to sleep. The going sun to- going down that late doesn't uh, get me tired. You know what I mean? So early enough. So it's yeah. twelve o'clock, and I'm beginning to get a little tired now. And then I wake up at five. You know, so it's like, man, this sucks. I definitely prefer the other time change, but. There's a lot of uh a lot of you guys that disagree I did a post, and a lot of people disagreed, oh really yeah they I they people couldn't... like sleeping in they don't not many people wake up early or even like waking up early, so yeah. they prefer the late evenings for you know no I always see it like legislation come around
1: every year because somebody proposed it yeah at Texas House and somebody's proposing it at like the national level to eliminate it Because also when you look at the history of like why daylight savings team was even put in place's like It was put in time because, like, for daylight savings time, like in the farm back in like the eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundred, when like there wasn't electricity and modern technologies to get more time in the fields. Yeah, working with crops. That's why it's here. It's like I think we're long past people pulling plows with horses uh, that we can operate at night. So yeah, okay, can we uh we follow Arizona and just not do it at all? That'd be nice.
0: No, a lot of people completely disagreed, and one guy even went as far as coming up with some excuse about evening sports and how it would cost more money because they got to light the fields in this way with the sun out they don't have to waste money on light i don't know i was like what do you come up with this shit dude <laughs> evening sports like <laughs> or kids guess. yeah I and i was like wow that's creative that's one thing but,
1: like you saying that to me was like what uh <laughs> It's funny because somebody I even thought this like I think it's a really good idea and there really probably isn't a whole lot of argument against it, but somebody's gonna come up with arguments against it. And yeah. that like that, I never really thought about, like evening sports and green world. We should be
0: but, we should go in two hours ahead of time so the sun doesn't come up until ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like, oh Lord. And that that's really what it is, is that if you if you really want, you can argue any point and, you're, really,
1: you're really good at that though. Yeah. I'm really
0: good <laughs> With that being said, I did want to congratulate you. You finally got your contractor's license,
1: oh, fully licensed
0: VC, yeah. uh, able to... It's kind of funny. It's like we've been
1: running projects, doing things for years, and like, you don't need a license. But now it's just like, oh, just one less barrier that that. Uh,
0: well, and it's also, I mean, the reason that we went ahead that made a good I- it made a good idea to do it now was for the fact of just being able to, in case they change The regulations, in case they start, because we see more and more people getting into construction, more and more people doing all this, regulations getting tighter, that they might make it harder to get your license. They They might make more barriers. Yeah,
1: I was talking to somebody and said like, when they got originally got their license 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was like, there was a board of people that you had to sit in front of that asked that none of them were construction people. Yeah. There were like elected officials sitting in a board that know nothing about construction, judging whether you should get a construction license. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you had to take this test that had nothing to do with actual of the work and what you were doing that tested no level of competency, but it was, like, it was some brainchild of a politician that comes up with these ideas that doesn't know anything no. about construction They're like here well, let's, let's just throw these extra questions in there it's, it's like okay but uh they abolish that to get more contractors in there but if you go to like yeah like east and west coast i mean even going out to seguin like trying to get a contractor's license out there is like expensive i'm consuming and you actually have to know stuff that really doesn't predicate on an ability to do the work but yeah. you're supposed to know these random things to pass a test, like the way the whole like our whole society is obsessed with passing a test, yeah. but it doesn't really mean you actually know anything. Like your A student could ace everything, but when it comes to actual practicality things in the
0: world, they got nothing. Well, it's kind of that that you know that saying that you always hear the the C students hire A students, right? Yeah. Like, and it's because, and it's not knocking anybody that's gone to school and gotten a degree, not that at all, but it just goes to show that sometimes the just you getting a degree, you getting all these things doesn't actually make you competent enough to execute on the thing, right? So it's the same like getting your real estate license. They've been comp- making it harder and harder to get it where before, you know, you could kind of cheat your way through it, pass it, hurry up and get your test. Yeah. Where now it's like, you really got to pay attention. They teach you literally just so much crap. that's you. When are you even going to remember to use any of that shit if yeah. it ever comes about? And then it's It's just just a barrier of entry and a way to get money. Not everybody
1: can do it because you gotta be able to have this
0: basic understanding of trying
1: to pass this thing. That's the the
0: issue, right? Like let's say like I'm pretty good at construction, but I suck at taking tests. Yeah. You understand? So if you make me take that test, I don't know if I'm gonna pass, but yet I can probably build a house better than most of the people that will pass that test because I actually know how to do the job. You know, so it's like you know it, it sucks in a, in a way but then in a way i completely understand why they're doing it but you know at least that's good because we we did pick up that lot that we're going to be building on so this way we start bringing all the permits in-house we're controlling them we're not subject to whatever the the builder is doing and you know polling not polling did they, they close it out not close it out we're able to control the, the process a lot better ourselves now and i think that that makes a lot more sense um also we have for those of you that may not know we have a, a workshop tomorrow that we're doing on it's pretty much it's going to cover a lot of the questions i keep getting asked about wholesaling what list to market to how to market to them negotiations estimating repairs we're covering all that and that's tomorrow so if uh, you want to check that out we'll put a link below later or just go to wholesalingtherightway.com and you'll be able to sign up there and the reason, <laughs> so I, I, I was targeting those domains on purpose, but like, you know, wholesaling the right way, flipping the right way and all that, because we hear so many stories and we see so many things of the way people are flipping houses, wholesaling houses, buying rentals. And you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You know? And today I was actually listening to your boy, um, money for the rest of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the freaking Bueller guy. Bueller, I put him at two times speed and he's still talking slow. Um, he, he gave a, de- a definition for speculate, uh, speculation, right? Speculative investing. Yeah. And he says speculative investing is when there's a disagreement pretty much on the outcome of that investment. So speculate, speculative investment is that there's a disagreement whether that's going to go up or it's going to go down. And he says, investing is when you have cash flow, when there's a predictable outcome. That's investing. If you don't have a predictable outcome, it's speculative, right? And the way he said it, I was like, you know, I've never heard it explained that way before. I was like, that's actually a pretty cool way of explaining speculative investing. And that's exactly what people are doing right now. You know, they call themselves investors, but these wholesalers, they're not investing. You know, these flippers, they're not investing. It's all speculation. You know, they're, and, and even the way that they were buying, hoping, and we've seen it where somebody's brought us deals and they're like, yeah, you know, the ARV is this, but I know that by the time we're done, it's going to be 20,000 higher. Like, I'm sorry, are you from the future? Like, How there's do no you know that? Predict, there's no way to predict that aspect of it like rising.
1: There's a lot of arguments of like why housing is on like, it's, it's going to top out. Mm. Uh, like I have an article in here that I found last week uh, that talks about just that of like, here, here's a case for the other side. I still don't think it's right just because of things we know and being in the business. Right. But they do make a case towards like, yeah, I could see other parts of the country and other situations where that is valid, but. Well, what's it, the article? What's the, what's the there, point on it? There's one, uh, there's something else I want to touch first. Oh, okay. But, well, we're here. Well, it's and what you're talking about of the uh, investing aspect of it and like yeah. having because a lot of it is I heard our, our somebody speak about it this week. There's like this is what happens when there's so much idle cash and so much people with uneducated have so much money. Yep. So, and especially now on the precipice of them putting one point nine trillion dollars back into the economy when there's already no place to put it. People are going to get it and not know what to do with it. And that's what creates the things. And now you have people with uh, the FOMO, the fear of missing out kind of aspect and i found an article like and it was titled the fear of missing out fund shows that there really is an etf for everything so uh, the article goes on investing in the stock market these days is like having a bowling alley installed in your brain every day your head gets scrambled what's an active investor to do if you're in the etf space the answer is innovate even more in the latest effort, Collaborative Investment Series Trust has announced that it has a FOMO ETF in registration. It says it will track securities that reflect current or emerging trends. What does that include? Apparently, just about everything. Stocks anywhere in the world, as well as SPACs, other ETFs, derivatives, volatility products, and both leveraged and inverse ETFs. The secret to staying relative and catching trends, he said, is rebalancing the FOMO ETF, will, and it will rebalance weekly. And even because like first I read this like, so you're literally just gonna you're raising money to bet on literally anything that you want. Like, oh, we have this uh this NFT thing over here we're gonna put on this. Well, Bitcoin over here. Oh, this trend on social media said this. And like the in and out, in and out, in and out of the market, like And he says, like, it sounds like an awful lot of trading, and it is. We are not going to be tax efficient at all. It's like, (laughs) the people are going to put money in this thing. They don't realize, like, ooh, it goes up, it goes down. It's like, you don't realize, like, the tax implications that you're going to have of, like, literally day trading that much. Constantly in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Like, you're going to lose 25%, probably 25% of your investment just like that, just by tax efficiencies.
0: So, an ETF is an exchange-traded fund. Yeah. Right. It's it's pretty much everything in the stock market is a derivative of something. That means that, you know, even shares in Apple is a derivative of Apple, the success that the actual company has. You could buy into that. So ETFs are just they, they you create ETFs that go in favor of something against something. So you have funds of, you know, ETFs that are going against like the the rise of oil. So in that way, when oil tanks, that ETF goes up. So just to kind of give people an idea of what an ETF investing is. investing
1: in everything. But then, oh, this one's going to take ability to invest in everything, invest in one thing, that invests in everything. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a great idea. To where you just look at it, like, my God, the amount of... It, I mean, it capitalizes on like, there's so much fake money just floating around out there. Not People don't know what you want to do with it. And so many new investors with
0: this money, they're like, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let me just jump into that. Yeah. And, and, and kind of like hitting on, on the fake money part is the issue that, that ha- that's happening now is going back to speculative investing. Everybody right now is more focused about what's going to get me paid. You know, what's going to make me a lot of money right now, fast. You know, and they're not thinking of you for you're not even trying to become an investor, right? You're not becoming educated on yeah. how that works. You're not becoming educated on the tax implications of what that's gonna mean to you. You're you're not educated on any of these things. So yes, you might make some money, but then because you didn't get educated on the whole process, you end up really taking a bath later because what, what i've been seeing too is that people have been capitalizing on this and they go shopping and they spend all this money and all this and i'm like when the irs comes knocking
1: you're especially, going especially in stuff that's not tracked like if you were just trading bitcoin on some other platform and then you made a bunch of money in that and like you don't Test that, like, or show that you made that money, allow the government to tax you on it, and on that profit and that gain. Like, yeah, yeah. IRS so, and, uh, they kind of have a lot of power to uh, make your life a living hell. Just, just ask Wesley
0: Snipes. Not just Wesley Snipes. I mean, you know, one of the people that, uh, some of the people that I love hearing their biography, I guess, is um, co- uh, comedians. To me, comedians are the closest thing to entrepreneurs, right? It, they, the, the amount of struggle that a comedian goes through, and when you listen to all the uh, old comedians, you know, like your Jerry Seinfelds, your Eddie Murphy, like all of the older ones, when they were starting up, I mean, most of these people were living on the street waiting you know, for a certain club to open up so they can be able to get, be first in line and hopefully get called up so they can do their skit. Like The level of hustle, the level yeah. of dedication. Every, I, I love hearing, and plus they're funny as shit, so even hearing their stories is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I, I love hearing how comedians talk, and I was listening to a uh, Bill Burt podcast, and they had George Lopez on there. And they were talking about how, how many comedians they knew – would get in advance on probably a pilot season or some shit. And as soon as they get that advance, they go and they're buying the the car, they're buying a fur coat, they're buying a house and all this. And then all of a sudden that show tanks, you know, in the first couple episodes doesn't go anywhere. And then the studio's like, Yeah, we're gonna need that advance back. And they're like, uh, uh what do you mean? I already spent it. Or they'll they'll buy a house or some shit and get a, this ridiculously high mortgage. And he was setting an example of uh, the guy I was asked. He's like, "Where's your collateral?" And he takes out TV Guide and shows him the cover. He's like, "Here's my collateral." He was on the cover of TV Guide, and the bank gave him the loan. Four four episodes later, the show got canceled. He went into bankruptcy. <laughs> they had to foreclose on the home, you know, because they're they're doing all this shit based on money that's like severely speculative yeah and I, I mean i didn't want to jump around too well, so much but
1: have, like why would the studio advance money when they know that they or when they're like okay we're gonna need that back like why would you pay ahead well, and just like, so you know?
0: apparently now they don't do that anymore where now it's uh if they advance you like that money's yours yeah. right so yeah, it makes but, a lot more sense but, but like, oh back then it was just i guess it was weird because like even george lopez like he got called back george he's like no nah, i'm not interested he's like Oh, I thought you would like that new Volvo that you bought yourself. He's like, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> you know, because it's like they're going to take the Volvo. Um, but just right now, uh, Dre, he sent me a, a, a tweet, a picture. It says, Russell Okung, Okung, I don't know his last name, announced in December he was converting half of his salary. He's a, a NFL player for the Panthers, it seems. Um, converting half of his uh, salary, 13 million dollar salary, into Bitcoin. So this was back in December. Back in December, this uh, Bitcoin was 27 thousand. Now his price at now Bitcoin is priced at 61 thousand. So he turned his 13 million annual salary into 21 million because he invested in in Bitcoin. This increase makes Okon Okong. I don't know how to how you pronounce his last name. One of the 30 highest paid NFL players today. So he went from a simple contract of $13 to so now his contract is worth $21 million because he put half of it into Bitcoin. My thing here is kind of going back to that same point of the comedians and everything. This is so speculative, right? Like you putting half of your salary, and at least he's smart enough to do half of his salary, not the whole thing. Also one of the things like, Half of thirteen million dollars was still a good chunk of change that he still. Yeah. Yes, and no, because if you look at the statistics, statistics, um, there are like over eighty percent of NFL players as soon as they retire are broke. Oh well, yeah. Because yeah, of the I lifestyle remember. they live and everything, right? So like literally every dime they make is important because they they spend it just as quickly as they make it, if not more, because they you know they over leverage and everything. But you're looking at this and it's just, you, you look at the levels because it's on Bitcoin and it's like, and what, it, and I'm not saying it is, but what if Bitcoin is a fad? What is Bitcoin isn't a bubble now because there's just no real sophistication behind investing in Bitcoin aside from the public just saying, oh, that's so cool. Right. So, I mean, a lot of things going on with stuff like that, that's like, we go back, it's speculation. Everybody is speculating and everybody's speculating big I mean we heard it back during the gamestop bubble when uh this kid unfortunately committed suicide because he thought he owed seventy thousand oh, dollars thousand. Seven
1: hundred.
0: yeah he thought he owed it. This, oh this se- was, yeah seven hundred yeah for
1: Bitcoin the, the gamestop series so this was last year when that was going on that was uh gamestop
0: yeah. last year I thought it was January I thought Beginning of this year. Yeah, we sort of beginning
1: about. of this year. But that situation, you're talking about the Robin Hood kid that committed suicide. That was way last year. It was long before that. But he got in with the, the stimulus money and everything like that. And he started getting into Robin Hood and trading derivatives, not realizing that. And that's what there's in a lawsuit right now from the family to Robin Hood saying they weren't properly disclosing. Because when they read into it, he didn't owe 700 grand. It's like His other accounts that he had money in offset the losses that he had. And they, they weren't
0: due right away.
1: He only looked at one portion of his yeah. account because he didn't realize but, like And how we to, and we go things. back
0: to that person the lack of personal responsibility with everything. You know, even when people tell me, Oh, the, these wholesalers are, are screwing investors over left and right. Are there shitty wholesalers? One thousand percent. Are they screwing people over? Yes. Is it entirely the wholesaler's fault? No. At the end of the day, it's your responsibility as an investor to do your due diligence. How many times do we get deals from wholesalers? Hey, here's the numbers. Hey, here are the repairs. Here are the ARVs. Look, do you want it? Like, Yes, we want it. All right, great. But well, we're going to look at it. I want to go look at the property. I want to go check the repairs or that because I'm not going to take your word for it. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to that town hall that um one of the wholesalers that brought us. And they were saying 15 grand in repairs, and we looked at all the numbers. It's like, yeah, if the numbers are what you're saying. We'll definitely take it. And when I went to look at it, I'm like, dude, this is at least 40, 45 in repairs. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell were you looking at 15? Yeah, they basically
1: just take the contract price, what we'll they think they can sell it for, it, and then whatever's left, minus the wholesale fee. That's the repairs.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing their formula. And I think that's an excellent point because I think that's exactly how they're doing their formula. They take ARV, and usually you take ARV minus uh 30%, right? Which is your closing costs and profit and everything for the yeah. investor. Minus repairs, minus your wholesale fee. But they're doing that. They're taking ARV minus 30%, minus their profit, minus what they got to buy for and they're like, "Well, your repairs are 15 grand, so you got to figure that out." It's like, "No." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what the repairs are, you know, and it's just we go back to the same thing like You got to take responsibility. And even that kid, while it was tragic that he committed suicide and everything, it's so you are not getting. I mean, right now I'm seeing Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, these NFTs, and I have a lot of ideas on where to invest for these, but I still don't fully understand it, which is why I'm not going to put my money into it. You understand? And if I was to put money into it, I would probably put an amount that I know I can risk losing. Just because sometimes when you put money into play, you pay more attention to it. You, yeah. you listen to it a little bit more. So that would be the only way I invest in it. But some of these people that they're just, they're so desperate for that easy money that they're willing to put up half of their salary. They're willing to put up a large oh, chunk mean, of cash. Uh,
1: the other guys I listened to, um, Rick Edelman is talking about, he read an article that somebody converted their entire life savings, retirement money, into Bitcoin. Oh, When they, they did it, when it was at like, Twenty five thirty. now it's worth like 60 and now their their conviction of like i will not transfer any money out diversify against anything that is the way to go because i've yeah. now seen the retirement double but like they're 60 years old and they put all their money into bitcoin thinking it was gonna and then it made a bunch more money and they won't diversify out of it like oh well i mean the, a... the
0: thing is like while bitcoin is going up and everything they look like geniuses right that right now they're, they're like holy shit they're they're so smart but uh I was thinking about it because I was reading uh, a, an article here with Jack Dorsey. He, he has the Cash App and he's allowing users to send and receive Bitcoin without any transaction fees. So Documenting Bitcoin, that's their Twitter handle, Documenting Bitcoin. Uh, the founder of Twitter? The Twitter, the... I don't know. I yeah. don't know if he has a beard or not, but uh, his handle is at Jack. Like, of course, you're the founder, the cool yeah. handle, um, but so documented Bitcoin. They tweeted out that says, uh, "You can now send and receive Bitcoin for free on Cash App as easily as you can send dollars." Well done, Jack. Bitcoin is inevitable. So the Cash App team further announced a one million dollar giveaway in Bitcoin, open to users that are legal U.S. residents over the age of eighteen. So they're also giving them, I mean, the amount of pushing behind Bitcoin. Then if someone sends money via credit card linked to their Cash App account, the total will include a 3% fee. So with Bitcoin, they're not charging you anything to use Bitcoin. Square's soaring performance in 2020 helped it close out December with 36 million active customers, representing a 50% year year on year jump. 50% Fifty percent. I mean, and they're not new, and that's an insane uh, growth. The company is further looking to strengthen its crypto business via a one hundred and seventy million dollar Bitcoin investment. Realize? Switched coffees. Oh I would <laughs> No.
1: Dude, you gave me a rich well, I didn't. You just grabbed that one and started drinking out of it. I was like, man, this coffee tastes a little different. now." Well, people, <laughs> uh, I'm, This is going to be an interesting uh, oh, podcast. Man. So those don't just happen. John drinks decaf and I drink regular. Well, I went and bought breakfast, set the cups down and John just grabbed one of the coffee and started drinking. And I was sitting here drinking my coffee. I'm like, man, this is like. Why, I'm, you falling asleep? Yeah, I was like, man, like, man that coffee's not kicking. I was like, wait a minute. I never looked at it. I just grabbed the one that wasn't being drank out of it. Oh, and I'm like, large, hot, decaf coffee. This is what I'm I got to like, deal with. Huh,
0: this is what I got to deal with. You got to deal with. You're the one that grabbed Oh, so You it put, put it like, on the side of the table. I, just I thought set you up, set them uh, down man, in the side. I don't know. I side by side. So I wake, I already, eat, I don't drink regular coffee because oh, I already have a ridiculous amount drink, of energy. Oh
1: my God, it's never gone. Oh. Yeah,
0: I've already drank most of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as far as you don't drink coffee at all, and now it's a large black coffee.
0: Babe, if you're listening... <laughs> oh, man. Might uh. have an emergency. Um, Yeah, so I don't drink regular because... Already come with enough energy, oh. and regular makes me bounce off the walls. So we'll see how oh, fun this gets. Yeah,
1: I got an hour and a half. Let's see. Let's see where this goes. Oh
0: boy! <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have even said anything. <laughs> <laughs> that will be a good moment to get a. Good oh logo. yeah! What a great <laughs> moment! <laughs> oh boy! Okay. Anyways, um, asshole. So they're 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 doing. <laughs> They're going to the company is further looking into strengthening the its crypto business via a 170 million dollar Bitcoin investment. JP Morgan found retail investors have bought 187,000 Bitcoins so far this quarter compared to 173,000 Bitcoins that institutions have purchased. So going back to the same shit, it's like Typically, you know, you look at this and it reminds me of when I was reading into the dot-com bubble, right? That actors were jumping in, uh, athletes were jumping in, everybody was jumping in, and it just inflated this amazing bubble, you know, that ended up crashing. But that didn't mean that websites and the internet went away. It just meant that- Like
1: Amazon, like Amazon is part of the tech bubble and like, look where
0: it's at now. So it's not that Bitcoin's going to go away, but- do you feel that all of this propping up all, and i don't know if it's propping up but all of this quick growth that bitcoin's been getting is forming a bubble that might do a massive correction not go away but just do a massive correction and then keep going or do you feel like a lot of people are saying that from here it's going to go to 100 hundred, three hundred thousand. I mean, well, what I mean, are your Bitcoin, thoughts on it?
1: Bitcoin? is I mean, period like what drives the price up is I mean, does somebody else is paying more. Like more money has to come into space. So, you already have uh I mean, like they say here, compared to the 173,000 Bitcoins that institutions have purchased. So you have institutions, you have yeah. big companies, you have big people getting behind it. You have The more and more people that get behind it, the more and more people it's going to suck into it. Is there going to be corrections, ups and downs for sure. But until like somebody goes out and tries to regulate it out of existence, I don't think it's going away in any form or fashion because I mean, it's also a decentralized network around the entire world. So
0: yeah. it's well, I don't think disappear. Even, even as far as the regulation goes, I don't even think that's going to happen because you're looking at... Uh, Biden had brought in for uh, the head of the SEC FCC. a guy that was teaching about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and everything. So they already have a site, and then you have large institutions, banks, that are starting to do this. The governments are looking into Bitcoin and creating kind of their own cryptocurrency, which I thought that's what the dollar was. Um, you know, so you're you're looking at all this. So I agree. I don't think it's in a bubble, but then at the same time, it's like could it have another massive correction like it did when it went from nearly 20 grand down to 3 you know could we see another massive correction where now it's like in the 50s and it goes back down to 20 right it's last real pretty much level before it spiked up so it, i still see it as a very speculative style of investing and i think it's you you should be diversified you know i don't think you should be doing what these people are doing that they're putting so much of their capital and 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 futures into yeah. something like this because you're looking at why are people investing is cuz there's so much easy money out right now and at some point that's going to stop you know i <laughs> yeah you th- you would think but i don't know knows. maybe well i mean and kind of to touch on that jumping to the topic that i thought we were going to start with um the Biden tax plan right so This sort of came out. It's not the full plan because it's not, you know, this is just kind of the rumors from the people that work for Biden and everything that are just coming out with some of those policies. Some of them are already known because they're staying consistent to what he said before. Uh, And then there's other speculative ones. So everybody's waiting for this. And on that note, actually, this week, uh, this coming week, I'm going to be interviewing our CPA uh, and bookkeeper and CFO and everything, Brian Lang. Uh, So I'm going to, and we're going to be talking about the tax, uh, the Biden tax plan. We're going to be talking about PPP. We're going to be talking about, you know, the advantages of setting up an LLC if you're beginning as an investor. Because, I mean, we see that all the time where wholesalers haven't even done a deal and they're like, oh, I have my LLC, right? So to me, right, again, we're not doctors, attorneys, CPAs, veterinarians, we're none of that. Um, So do your own research. But to me, setting up an LLC when you haven't even done your first deal is ridiculous. It's like, why the hell are you doing this? You don't even know if you're going to stick around in real estate, you know? But yet you're creating all these extra expenses, all this extra work when you don't even have a business set up to generate revenue. I mean, kind of nuts. But we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about all these things. And then also some advantages that he has seen or flippers and buy and hold investors and stuff like that, that maybe some people are not implementing. So that's a little plug. So make sure you're, you're subscribed and you're watching out for that interview. It's going to be, well, I'm doing it next week and we'll probably be releasing it uh, next week at some point. So keep an eye out for that. But this, so let's cover the, the Biden tax plan. So this is uh, the first major tax hike since 93. In 93, we had, was it Clinton, right? Did he come in, and, or he came in in 94, right? When did Clinton come in? Because he did 94 to 2000, and then 2000 is when Bush started. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, 92, because it's four years. Yeah, 92. So stop saying, yeah, yeah. What's, the <laughs> what's the number? What's the number, what's the yeah. number, what's the yeah. number? What's I went number? from 94, 93, yeah, you gave too, me like regular coffee, okay? Um, I didn't do nothing You want to grabbed it, jerk. So it says on this article, for the Biden administration, the plan changes are an opportunity not just to fund key initiatives like infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. Infrastructure is always, they always use infrastructure for all this shit. And then yet all the roads, all the bridges, everything is still jacked. But that's imaginably, you know, that's supposedly why they do not it. Climate and expanded help for poorer Americans. Okay, But also to address what Democrats argue are inequities in the tax system itself. The plan will test both Biden's capacity to woo Republicans and Democrats' ability to remain unified. Remain unified, my ass. They're fighting between each other with the far left and then the more conservative left. So it's whatever. The news. Uh, Sarah Bianchi or Bianchi, however you want to pronounce it, head of U.S. public policy at Evercore and former economic, economic aide to Biden. That is why the focus is on addressing the unequal treatment between work and wealth. While the White House has rejected an outright wealth tax, as proposed by progressive Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, the administration's current thinking does target the wealthy. I mean, it's funny because they're like, this is not a wealth tax. But when you hear all the taxes, it's like, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) How is it not? But Yeah, it's not just saying like,
1: because you're wealthy, we're taxing you. Tax everywhere, you actually make money though.
0: Well, and it's also kind of when they came out with socialism and they're like, no, this isn't socialism. This is democratic socialism. Mm. Like you can rebrand all you want, but the end result is still the same. Like it's still, you know, but whatever. So they're rebranding. It's not a wealth tax. The tax hikes include in a broader infrastructure and jobs package are likely to include repealing portions of President Trump's 2017 tax law that benefit corporations and wealthy individuals, as well as making other changes to make the tax code more progressive, um, said people that are familiar with the plan. The following are among proposals. So here's what they're proposing on that. So they want to raise corporate tax rate to 28% from 21%. So that's a big increase. 7% is a big increase for corporate tax rate. They're pairing back tax preferences for so-called pass-through businesses, such as limited liability companies and partnerships. So this is something that I asked Brian, and we're going to be talking about in the interview, is... What the hell does pairing back tax preferences mean? You know what I mean? Like that to me is the vaguest term out there. And I asked him. I was like, "What does this mean? Pairing back tax preferences?" Paring. He's like,
1: "Huh? Paring back? Paring back tax preferences?
0: Not pairing?" That's probably why he didn't understand it either.
1: He <laughs> <laughs> was like, paring back." I uh, mean, they're just rolling some of it back. Uh, yeah, but what? Defining more like, of it. it's,
0: it's very vague, so we got to see when... I think what they're saying is like the,
1: lay, the law was written so vaguely. Yeah. They want to bring some of that vagueness back for some of these people that have figured out ways to really take advantage of the so-called pass-through business entity of the LLCs that shouldn't be wasn't intended for the way to design it's just like any law like to put something out and all of a sudden out of a country of 330 million people there's some people that figure out how to use that in a way that is not the way it was intended to be used to increase their wealth right so it's probably so what then, they're digging into now that it's been two years <clears throat> right, that this has been in place like okay well these types of llcs if you're doing this type of business
0: you don't get this pass-through advantage because of that right so and then they're going to be raising the income tax Rate on individuals earning more than four hundred thousand. Now I, I've read into it, and they're saying that the individuals earning more than four hundred, they're like that's for if you're filing married, you know, two people. They're saying if it's individual, it's more than uh for people that are making two hundred thousand. So, is it individuals making four hundred or more, or is it a single person making two hundred? And married, making four hundred or more, mm-hmm. so that's what I'm. I'm curious. They haven't, you know, we're waiting for the details on on the specifics on that. Uh, expanding the estate taxes uh, reach from forty percent to forty five percent. A higher capital gains tax rate for individuals earning at least one million annually up to thirty nine point six percent. So they're increasing the capital gains tax, and it's going to be capped at. 39.6% for anybody earning over a million. So 40% tax. Well, just think about that. You
1: add that and some of these other states like California have like a 13.9% state income tax rate. It's yeah. so like if you're making over a million bucks, every dollar you make over a million dollars, over half of it goes to taxes. Yeah. Like, it, Would it, that be 53% or 54% almost? Percent goes towards taxes.
0: Yeah. So... You're you're looking at this and you say how is it this is not a wealth tax? How is it not a wealth tax? All of this affects businesses because even the paring back uh tax preferences for pass through entities that's all of us that's investors that we all have LLCs and we have you know advantages of having an LLC as we run our businesses so they're going to do something with that we don't know exactly what that is but that's affecting that's going to affect small well, my, businesses. My thing
1: with it is like oh we're going to increase the mm-hmm. uh, the taxes on the wealthy. And my rebuttal, that is like, or is that just going to increase the amount of money they get paid? Cause you basically your talent where your talent pool is is where you compensate. Mm-hmm. And you have to get talent away from other people, other companies, other corporations, you're competing for that. So if they're getting paid 50% and now it's a like company's like, oh, they're getting all this money in taxes. So we need to pay them more to make them wealthier to so they can live the lifestyles that they want to live. So now they got to recruit away the people. Like they say that we're raising these taxes. Like that's just like the idea when they said, oh, we you need to make up CEOs' salaries public because their theory was it would make people feel bad and mm-hmm. they would lower their salaries because now everybody knows how much money they make. But it had the exact opposite effect because now they could see what the other CEOs were making at other companies. All right. So then they said, well, I'm doing more. I'm performing better than that guy over there, but he makes more money. I want more money. Yep. So that made... CEO salaries go through the roof. So when they like tax these high income earners, the reason they're high income earners is because they produce for companies. So then they still they're just gonna get paid more. So I think it's just gonna increase their salaries even more. And like the government, yes, gets the tax values from that, but they're saying, Oh, we're increasing the tax rates because we want to get more money to the individuals. It's like, no, it's gonna increase their wealth or their incomes, which makes you get more money, which then now you're gonna try to redistribute back down to where it's like, I think it's creating that self-circle to where it's like, it just made the government bigger and closer and closer to that universal based income to where like you just take it from the rich and you give it back to the poor, but then it's just revolving cycle. Well,
0: to me, I mean, it, to, to kind of build on that, I, this is how you eliminate the middle class because this is where you're pretty much going like, Hey, if you make a dollar over this price point, you're pretty much going to get taxed. You, it's, they're going to tax a dollar where people are going to be like, all right, I got to either stay below this or completely jump above this point, right? Because then they talk about all these uh, high income earners and everything. People that are making 400 grand, they're not like savvy investors. They're not, you know, all these savvy people that they know how to produce, how to invest, how to move their money where it's not going to get taxed. These are doctors, attorneys athletes, actors, all of these people that are just high-income earners, they're going to be getting taxed like an absorbent amount of money, right? So it's going to start really hurting those people. And then you have your really rich that are smart. They know how to invest. They know how to move their money. So they are still not going to be getting taxed. Now, all you're going to be doing is hurting that middle class that is moves the economy. They're the ones that are going out, spending Buying shit all the time, buying homes, buying second homes, doing all this stuff. Those are the people that you're going to be hurting. You know what I mean? So you're essentially going to start eliminating and hurting the middle class. I think, you know, I think it's definitely it's leaning towards that. And then it says, um, so they said folks at the top who've been able to benefit from this economy and haven't been this hard hit. There's a lot of room there to think about what kinds of revenue we can raise. Um, and I was like, okay, so yeah, there's people that have been benefiting from this economy, so we gotta figure out how to get our slice from that. Yeah. like, well, they've been benefiting is because they've been investing, they've been helping, they've been creating jobs, they've been doing something because you know, there's really no other way. So all these people making a shit ton of money on uh, NFTs, Bitcoin, and all this, the capital gains tax is gonna chew up a lot of that earnings. And then here's what I found the funny the, the funniest and the craziest. They're expecting this tax policy to raise 2.1 trillion over a decade. That's what they're expecting this to raise, 2.1 trillion over a decade, okay? But they're going to spend about 2 to 4 trillion to implement it. So I'm like I don't get it. You're going to spend more than what you're going to make on it. So you're going to spend two to four, because they're planning on putting this out soon, like this year.
1: Yeah, they're going to spend two to four trillion dollars in the infrastructure and then only get two of it back in over 10 years. Over 10 years. I was like, where does this make sense? Well, the theory is, John, that you're going to increase the economic output and make money
0: and increase the GDP. But how are you increasing the economic output when you keep trying to tax and hit people that are creating. No no, 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 that's not how you look at it. Yes. You, you can't look at it that way. That's the problem. So you're looking at these tax hikes, you're looking at all this, and it's, I think that's exactly how you start getting rid of the middle class, right? And, and like I look at what happened in Argentina, the same type of policy. They did the same exact things. They raised the taxes It completely wiped out the middle class. So now you have lower class, dependent on the government, government subsidies, handouts, everything, and the ultra rich. Nothing in the middle. Yeah. The middle does not exist, you know? And the only middle that exists is the middle that exists off the books. Yeah. Because it's the people that are doing stuff and nothing is being reported, which now it makes it in Argentina still easier because, you know, technology isn't as advanced as it is here with all the stuff that's going on. But here, I think it's nearly impossible because now with everything being electronic, it's like, how do you hide any of that? It's not like you're going to be getting paid cash. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So how do you hide any of that to not get cash? Like, yeah, hit?
1: especially large amounts of yeah. cash, like to be close and quote unquote middle class. Like you're not, It's pretty hard to have $70,000 a year, make 70 to 100 grand a year yep. and make it be cash.
0: And then you have the Fed sees a stronger economy and higher inflation, but no rate hikes. Well, so, going on
1: the point of taxes, I had another thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but they, the IRS is pushing back the tax filing deadline until May 17th. Now they're even I delaying. Heard June. No, May 17th. That was last year.
0: Oh, uh, that's the shit. June. So they pushed Texas, and Texas back to June 15th because of a snowstorm for one week. So yeah. a one week snowstorm pushes it an extra two months. In two months. Yep. I'm like, What?
1: Uh yeah I don't know. Uh, so the move will give taxpayers and tax professionals an extra month after the original deadline of April fifteenth. May then this is because they got we're getting heavy pressure from Congress and tax and accounting groups to push deadlines. So
0: tax for what you, reason? Like what, what reason? I mean, well, you tried to call the IRS lately? No, like they're but, so. But back- that's what I don't understand. It's like, you know, where's? I understand why last year. Right? Last year was a shit show, right? Yeah. Even the federal buildings were shut down for how long? Well, they're still but, shut down. But that's what I'm saying. It's been a year. You're telling me you still haven't optimized and prepared for this? Well, they just haven't worked through the backlog of last year. But that- how are you not... How? Like, how did you not hire more people? How are... like? To me, it's so inefficient. It's like, it's been a year. How did you not... Well, that's what I said, but it,
1: like, I, I understand it 100%. It's just like, yeah, you've delayed so much stuff. You've pumped so much money. You've changed so many laws, regulations, and rules in the past year. It's like, it takes time. Like, it takes you just time need to more adjust. people, though. Yeah, but who wants to work for the IRS? I and bustle, the the has been And they've been shut down forever. So, like, they haven't even been able to work through the backlog. Like... That they were already had to start, so now you've added yeah. more to the backlog, and it's just like. Well,
0: then if, that, if that's the case, I mean, I don't see what an extra month is going to do. I mean, it, it seems like you know, it, and what's crazy is that all the the new Stimmy checks hit people's account like as soon as it was released. Like, there was already people, um, I think in, my, in our family, somebody already got the the stimulus checks. Yeah, they said, you like, know?
1: right as they passed it, they said, within a week, like, 10 million people got it already.
0: Yeah, it was within a few days. They were like, oh, I already got my check. I'm like, yeah, that was fast. Yet your backlog with everything else, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just never agreed with the stimulus in the first place. I think it was noxious. And now we have another 2 to $4 trillion coming in the market. So, yeah, that's nice. But go yeah. ahead. But, uh.
1: Well, that was just—I was just adding it mm-hmm. that point as you were starting to go on into inflation and stuff like that.
0: Well, yeah. So then, kind of touching on that point is the risk of that we have right now of inflation. So you have, again, the Federal Reserve sees a stronger economy and higher inflation, but no rate hikes. Why this is important is because typically, when you see higher inflation, they write, they raise, uh, they hike up rates, right, to keep it kind of controlled. So. The Federal Reserve on Wednesday sharply ramped up its expectations for economic growth, but indicated that there are no interest rate hikes likely through 2023. So not this year, not next year, and possibly we might see something in 2023, despite an improving outlook and a turn this year to higher inflation. So Federal Open Market Committee also voted to keep short-term borrowing rates steady near zero while continuing an asset purchase program in which the central bank buys at least $120 billion of bonds a month. So the Fed keeps increasing their balance sheet by $120 billion a month to buy bonds. That is money printing. That's all that that essentially them buying bonds is not their investing. That's their way to throw $120 billion every single month into the market. Yep. You know, so they're they're a heavy investor in the market. Um, The gross domestic product is expected to increase 6.5% this year before cooling off in later years. So they're expecting the GDP to increase 6.5% this year. To me, like the level of inflation that's going to cause this year is going to be insane.
1: Yeah, well, I have another one on Point because they said, like, there's no inflation, there's no inflation, no signs of inflation. But
0: uh, now, so like, before we would jump in, oh my in, god, there's there's During a process. Coffee. John, there's coffee. a process. How many article how many episodes have we done? We're in season two, episode 10. We did how many, like 15, 18 last year. I mean, come on,
1: this is the first episode that you've drank an entire large cup of co- black coffee, though.
0: Yeah, that wasn't my fault, though. Okay, so, okay, so, not, not so not you're your gonna fault. have to deal with oh, okay. that. Okay, I'm gonna call you. So, projections now. <laughs> for 2022 and 23. <laughs> are for gains of 33 and 2.2% respectively before growth settles into the long-term range of (laughs) 2.3%. Okay, along with the increase in GDP, committee members forecast unemployment to fall to 4.5% from its current 6.2. That compares with the 5% the FOMC estimated in December Forecasts for the subsequent two years are for 4.2% and 3.7%, before settling into a long-run level of 4%. However, he said that won't be enough to change a policy that se- seeks inflation above 2% for a period of time. If it helps to achieve full, full, and inclusive employment.
1: That the exactly.
0: Part. So the Fed modified; <laughs> they're modifying everything. So the Fed modified those goals to say it would keep policy accommodative, freaking words, until employment not only increases substantially, but in a way where benefits are spread among income, racial, and gender classes. Dove-telling with the with that goal. Is a willingness to let inflation run somewhat above the Fed's two percent target for an undetermined period to reach employment goal. Should inflation get out of control, Fed officials believe they have the tools to control it. So bullshit on that one. And then I love their projections. Like if you go back to any other of these um man, these stands need some WD forty. But if you go back to any of their projections, like year over year over year, they miss consistently. I mean, well, they just change it toward it makes sense. Yeah, they're 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 like the weathermen of of freaking economic policy. You know, they're, it's like here's the weather for this week. It could rain. It could snow. It could be sunny. It could be hot. It could be cold. Go out, have fun. You yeah. know what I mean? So, and this is the same with them. They're they're doing all these projections, and I'm like. What do you do? You guys really waste all this time sitting around coming up with these stupid ass projections that you're always wrong on. You know what I mean? Like you have nothing better to do with your time to maybe actually produce something. And then my biggest issue is what they're that what they keep saying is they're targeting employment to be inclusive. So they want racial and gender classes. They want a certain. Well, this is a piece time. of that
1: that they can use to
0: have more freedom to do what they want to do and adjust their. But talk about right. vagueness, right? Yeah. That's vague as hell. What is the actual target for that? Like if you're saying, okay, look, unemployment for minorities and you and women and stuff like that right now for that for these groups are at these percentages. Yeah. We are targeting this percentage for these groups, right? Okay, at least there's a target. But then we go back to what you and I have spoken about plenty of times of saying you have a bigger issue with minorities, right? When you're saying, oh, there's a huge unemployment in minorities, because there's a huge issue with education for minorities. Yeah. So a lot of minorities, a lot of these uh, areas that are underappreciated, they're, they're underfunded, they have no resources or anything, like you want these people to increase their employment, but they ha- they don't have the necessary skill set to do so. So- why not work on that instead of saying we're just going to keep pumping money into the market until it magically fixes itself? Mm-hmm. Like, you you expect these people to magically develop skills necessary to gain a job that's going to be enough to take care of their income and their. You know yeah, what so I mean? Money, like, money's not
1: the problem. Yeah. It, it comes down it, to the education of it and like their vagueness of it. Where I mean, it's just like they want it. It's, design, it's out by design. They know exactly what they're doing. And it's like they're not going they to define it. to find finding undefining it purposely they know there's those issues but they don't want
0: to fix them and that's that's where i think is the the biggest issue with all of this is that you're having the federal reserve who's extremely biased on money right they want more money so you have the federal reserve talking about how they are going to be they're dictating policy so you're having the people that their only job really is to print money dictate policies what do you think the policies are going to be based on printing money you understand like to me this is nuts for them to set the standards and the goals of what this country needs to do with policies and everything because they want to print more money i mean you know that's how, that's how it, modern economies run it, it's just it's it's insane to think about it it's insane to look at it because you you start thinking about like you know, what you and I speak about is what makes sense anymore. What yeah. they're changing economic policies. They're changing. Well, they're, no, they're not, they're,
1: they're not changing. They're changing economic policies because they're trying to inflate away debt. They need to reset the money and debt cycles where the debt, the old debt doesn't matter. So they need it. They need inflation to run out so you can pay back all that debt with cheaper but they keep dollars. adding more debt. By debt, they're trying to force inflation. That's like they're trying to create so much. That's where like the stimulus checks. That's why the $120 billion into the economy, buying mortgages have to create more liquidity, keeping bonds so low that there's no reason to invest in them. Yeah. There's no reason to invest in debt for a minuscule 1% uh, return when inflation is expected to rise at 2 3%. So money takes out of bonds and goes into things that can produce higher returns. That's what they're trying to force is... Increase in value, increase in cash flow that can be reinvested into new levels of debt. Like that's what they're doing, and that's why they're keeping these artificial numbers out there. How is all
0: this going to be reinvested, though?
1: What do you mean you reinvest it in like
0: stock? You invest in company, huh? Who? Who? Who reinvests this money? People that have it, but they're not. They're like they talk about savings has gone through the roof, and now what we're starting to see is. I'm seeing like more of a change in what people well, invest in. And recently, yes. But there's like as prices start
1: to increase that people realize like you look through history, it's like when the savings go up, inflation starts to pick up, they start spending. And it's like and that the individuals like will start spending and it's also because half the country still isn't open up. I can't go anywhere. You look at California, New York, they're just now opening Disney World. But if you go to like Texas and um Florida, they're Tourism businesses, they're they're slammed. Yeah. Lights are picking up. Things are picking up. But people are going to spend. Their savings rates are skyrocketing because they can't go anywhere. They yeah. can't do anything. They, the places aren't open. So that's where these things go. Like they want to pump money into the economy by getting it out to people, getting increased pay. They're trying to force more liquidity into the system to where they can go out and produce more product and get new debt and inflate away the old debt. And it's work, and it is working too. And like that's why you have these vague things. But everyone's like, "Ah, bullshit!" That these that uh there's not gonna be inflation. There's not gonna be inflation by your definition. But you already see inflation rising. Like gas prices have gone up a dollar in the past six months. Yeah. And then like you're looking at housing prices. You're looking starting to see food go increase. And as the economy goes back online, they're expecting that inflation to really trickle through. So that's why I have in here like um, Bridgewater Co. CIO. Uh, Bridgewater is the largest privately held investment fund manager. Um, and that this is a snippet from their article. The world is on the verge of a new inflationary wave that could force the federal reserve to raise interest earlier than planned. According to the co chief investment officer of the world's largest hedge fund, the U S the U.S.'s extreme approach to fiscal stimulus looks to set to turbocharge consumer prices while threatening the coast crisis bond and stock rally. Greg Jensen at Bridgewater associates said in an interview, The pricing, the pricing in of inflation in markets is actually the beginning of a major secular change, not an overreaction on what's going on. Jensen said economic conditions and inflation will adjust faster than either markets or the Fed are expecting. If the risk to equities is higher, is higher rates, rates don't help. Jensen said the ability to use bonds to diversify has gotten significantly worse and obviously the, the ability to use bonds to generate returns has gone significant has also gotten significantly worse So that's what we're saying like they're not there's no bonds. like why would anybody invest in bonds? So like you have cash and like what are you going to do with cash? You go out and you spend it try to recreate new revenue streams you reinvest it in your company reinvest it in your people reinvest it in education because you can't put it in just a bond and get a three percent
0: when inflation's too. So that's and what's like going bonds. On. I mean, when interest rates are low, that affects bond prices. Bonds become good when interest rates are high. So as far as generating return, yes. Right. As far as the the value of the bond itself. So interest rates drop, so do the price of the bond. Like the bond becomes worth less less and less because it's not producing much of an interest. So you're having the Fed. I was reading, I don't remember I don't recall what article it was, but the Fed is uh even looking to Start buying into short-term bonds as well, because they're just—they're not moving. They're—they're they're not selling, and they need to keep buying the bonds. And then I, I mean, maybe you can explain this. Why does why does the Fed keep investing in the bonds versus anything else? Well, they're not investing in the bonds. They're just buying them
1: because the bonds, because the people are selling them, and basically they're buying the bonds because if they sell the bonds, mm-hmm. prices increase. And, they, and then that they don't want prices to increase too fast. So they need to be that buyer to keep the prices of the bonds low. But then by also buying the bonds, it provides liquidity because people realize like, I don't want to hold this bond anymore. It's like, it's worthless. If you're saying inflation is going to be 2 3%, you're going to let it go higher. Why am I holding on to this thing that's only at 1.2 or 1.5? So do you think 5?
0: it's it's more to keep money, the velocity of money going? Yeah, by- it's to
1: unleash it because like they basically, like if everyone sold it, interest rates would skyrocket. Well, and that there would, needs to be a
0: buyer for well, it. And that's
1: why the Fed is being that buyer. Right. And it's providing that liquidity because nobody wants to buy them. Definitely. So like big institutions, big hedge funds, big corporations are like, we need more liquidity. We need to sell our bonds because they're not producing any liquidity anymore. So we're going to get rid of them. Well, and the because Fed step- nobody
0: else wants to buy the bonds because it doesn't make sense, the Fed is coming in yeah. and buying it because they have the printing press. They there. have
1: the printing press. And then they know if everyone sold their bonds, interest rates would this skyrocket. This sounds so bad but like, that's the way it's been running no, for decades no no no
0: no i'm just saying like it just sounds so bad yeah right so what does this mean in your opinion on to us to regular people investors like what does this mean we're seeing we're going to be seeing high inflation this year what does this mean for real estate what does this mean for you know people that invest in rentals for people that are flipping houses uh, for people that are looking to buy like what does this look like people that are on the stock market What what are your, you know, obviously these are opinions, right? These are our opinions. But like, what do you think this means when you, when you're looking at all this, uh, you know, the, the tax bill that we'll see what actually ends up being passed through. Plus, um, you're seeing, you know, the federal reserve like keeps pumping in 120 billion. I
1: think a lot of it is, is like, you don't want to be in high end housing. Like a lot of people go for the high-end stuff, the high-end rentals, the high-end investment, the high-end flips, because there's bigger dollar value returns, not necessarily on a percentage basis, but would you rather have, make 10% on $700,000 or 10% on $150,000? Most people go for the 10% on the 700. It's like, but those now with interest rates changing and rising it's like every half a percent that it changes like in the median price point. I think they lose like $23,000 in purchasing power or something like that. So like as those interest rates start to rise, the mortgages become more and more and more expensive. All right. So, and I think that's where like your higher end is going to be more susceptible to those. So that's the place that like, I wouldn't want to be getting into. And that's why you see the stock market as far as the NASDAQ is the one that's being more volatile when these issues come out, because they're the ones that those, Really depend on that liquid, cheap money and cash to reinvest and stuff because they just well, try something and if it doesn't work they'll abandon it. That's and why the you Nasdaq see
0: it. is it's a tech, tech. and, and like that's really why tech. and
1: so your tech industries like Austin and or a place like Silicon Valley like they, they are affected by those things. So that's where it's, it's spaces that uh, be very not saying you don't want to be in them but you just need to watch them. And don't just speculate. It's like, oh, it's been going up so much the last year. I'm just going to put more money in it because it's gone further up. It's the same kind of deal when they say most people, you have to train yourself to realize like just because something has gone up doesn't mean it's continuing to go up. That's why they say like diversified portfolio and invest and readjust that portfolio over time. Or if tech has skyrocketed and your value stuff like the Dow Jones is like dropped, don't put more money in tech. I mean, you're putting money in buy the thing
0: that's been kind of crappy the last um, well, century. and then also what decade. what we saw too with people that were diversified is in 2008 when the stock market tanked, we saw a lot of people liquidate their real estate because it was the only thing that still held value, and they were being had getting margin calls. They were taking a huge hit on their retirement funds and everything, so a huge liquidation happened on real estate, but not because real estate was bad. It was because the stock market crashed yeah. and people needed liquidity, and but. That's where it benefited them. It benefited them that they were diversified and they had the liquidity in the housing that was able to take care of whatever losses they absorb they took on the stock market. And right now I'm seeing more people instead of diversifying, they're doubling down yeah. on, on all these things. They're doubling down on your, your you know your Bitcoin and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But kind of picking up on the on the mortgage trend, I wanted to hit this article real quick where Benny uh, Fannie warns, Fannie Mae warns lenders on investment properties in second homes. So, Fannie Mae, I, I wasn't sure we were talking, I wasn't sure if we discussed this before in a previous show. So, I, I was like, ask ah, it. we'll talk about it again if we didn't. So, Fannie announced March 10th that they are limiting new loans secured by second homes on investment properties to 7% of the overall loans they purchase. So roughly half their historic levels, <laughs> Jesus. So they're going down half their historic levels of loans they're giving out for second homes and stuff like that Effective April 1st. So this is done deal. It's effective April 1st. While Fannie did not add any new loan level pricing adjustments, the fees borrowers may pay for various perceived risk factors in the announcement, many Many mortgage lenders added, or will soon add, substantial cost to these loans. So, they Fannie didn't add any loan level pricing adjustments, but the loan, all the lenders, the mortgage lenders are starting to add cost to these loans. You have Penny Mac, who buys large numbers of Fannie Freddie loans from originating lenders, immediately added a 2.25% cost to new second home mortgages, regardless of equity. So it doesn't matter if you have 50% equity in the home, you're getting a 2.25% cost added to that loan. The pricing adjustment for a new investment property loan with less than 25% equity rose to a staggering 5% of the loan size. So 10000 on a $20,000 loan. Wow. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. No, these are just the new investor pricing adjustments based on Fannie's announcement, and substantial. So, yeah, substantial others still apply based on credit score, loan purpose, property type, equity, etc. As a reminder, Fannie and Freddie also added a 0.5% cost that we talked about before for all refinances over 125k. They did this last year in the fall um, fortunately loans in process that are already locked in will not be subject to new adjustments, but floating loans almost certainly will be. So we were talking about this. Uh, we have a mastermind with a few investors here. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're Pretty big investors in in each of their fields, and we were talking about the Fannie and all this because as uh, as buy and hold investors, you know, we have quite a few properties with Fannie loans and stuff like that. So this does affect because it's going to affect our cash flow, right? It's going to affect. Are we going to be borrowing at eighty percent, or should we borrow less because now you know twenty five percent and under, you're getting uh, a five percent, you know, for twenty five percent and under. So like it starts affecting our numbers it starts affecting the properties that we buy yeah. and they're doing all this to second mortgages so my question is more like what are we going to see as far as buyer demand goes with these new taxes when now maybe less investors are going to be able to buy because properties are tight right now so well, for a lot like- of the people that the a lot of the people that cannot afford to leave a Substantial amount of money in the property to let's say get, get it below that 25%, they're not going to be buying properties, right? Because it may not be cash flow and may not be making any money. So, and they can't get it low enough. And then you have all these other people like from New York and stuff like that that are wanting to buy second homes in Florida or buy, you know, second homes. Well, I mean, this is
1: what they're doing. So, like, they're just making real estate less attractive. That's all they're doing.
0: And it's,
1: and they're trying to like, Tax areas that made a lot of money and weathered the pandemic well. And real estate was a huge benefit from what has happened in the last year. So, uh, by doing that, like it makes less investors get into the space, which will normalize housing costs. I don't think it can make prices go down, but it will make more inventory come to the market. And you you have less buyers competing for it. Yeah, you have less buyers. Like it's not. The investors buying these houses, not right. second homes and things like that. It's like, ah, I going to think twice about that. That means a first time home buyer might actually be able to go in there and buy the house now. Yeah. So I think that's all they're doing is like, it's really just trying to pump the brakes on how fast real estate has appreciated to keep from more and more and more and more and more, and more people piling into an already crowded space when there's no inventory. So yeah. I, 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 that's my I'd speculation on why it is that they're actually. Yeah, I think,
0: I mean, one of the, the points to Biden's plans was to help out first-time homebuyers. You know, they have that first-time home buyer tax credit and everything. And there's a lot of home buyers that are struggling to find properties. So I think this is directly affecting investors where it's going to make it so much harder. But, you know, with this article, the one thing that comes to mind is as an investor, what do you what do? You do? I think this is the time when you gotta start getting creative with subject two. Because this is when you can instead of trying to buy a home that now you gotta refinance into an expensive as mortgage, you buy a house with a mortgage already in place.
1: If you can. Yeah, if for you sure. can,
0: a hundred percent. And that's also the issue is that I saw some uh one of these like, you know, douchebag companies they were doing a, a subject two workshop. And I was like, Why a subject two workshop? You know what I mean? Like, Why would somebody... Because that's what we've always seen with uh, sellers is that it's difficult for them to want to leave a loan in their name and everything when they can sell the house, still pay off the loan, and get some money. You know what I'm saying? Because right now, most people are not over-leveraged. And we talked about this, I think, like two uh, episodes ago that we talked about how you have people that are close to... um, Full equity, uh, not full, uh, negative equity, it was like less than 1% of the mortgages well, that were like close over, to...
1: Over half, the article did last week, like over oh. half of the arg- argument of why we're not in a housing bubble is like over 50% of the housing in the U.S. has over 50% equity in the house. Yeah. And like 38% is free and clear. Like there's still a ton of equity that is not being tapped into um, on some of these properties. So...
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's exactly that they they are targeting uh, investors specifically. We have it. We're seeing it somewhat. I don't think it's that they're targeting investors per se. They're just
1: they're trying to slow the real estate
0: market down. That's what they're okay, trying okay. But do. That, that's what I mean though. Like they're trying to slow it down, but not they're not trying to slow down people buying real estate. They're trying to slow down investors buying real estate because they keep increasing and helping out more people be able to afford real estate. Yeah. You know, now interest rates for the 30 year mortgage is, uh, 3.06%, I believe. It went up again. So it's, it stayed so far for the few weeks, uh, above 3%. Um, so that is going to make some mortgages a little bit more expensive, depending on what you're qualifying. Now you add all these extra fees for, for buy and hold for investors. And it's going to make it harder, you know? So now it's where investors, this is where you need to be creative. This is where you need to be. Uh, And I
1: was like, I'm actually happy to see it, honestly, Mm -hmm. Uh, because it slows down this, the real estate market and stops making everybody want to get into it. That just thinks, Oh, it's cool to be in real estate. It's cool to be in real estate. It's an own property to flip houses and stuff, because look how much value has increased in such a short period of time. I want that quick money. But when like it slows down, you actually have a, have to have a technical aspect. and actually have a skill set in investing in real estate. Besides I put money in, I sold it a year later and I made 50 grand. Like, I want that to go away. I yeah. want the space to be less crowded and be less attractive. Yes. It means that you're not going to get that quick equity spread, that quick equity, go with that quick cash, but it adds back to the fundamentals of a buy and hold long-term strategy of real estate. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see it and then like starting to slow things down and attacking that space that it's like, hey, uh, this money needs to go somewhere else besides just being in like home values and quick flips to individuals.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, but again, we go back to where it's, it keeps forcing the uneducated investor to either get educated or get out of the market. Yeah. Because at this point you're going to either become very speculative investor or you're going to be buying Mm -hmm. houses that are maybe not even cash flowing and hoping just prices keep going up. And as you can see, stuff like this, like to your point, it may not cause the prices to drop, but it might cause the prices... To slow down from rising yeah. so high, and then real estate, like we always say, it's very local. So it's gonna affect other areas worse than uh, than like let's say Texas, because Texas we still have a lot of people moving here. Mm-hmm. So that increase in population is gonna keep you know feeding into the the low um the low inventory that we have. And I was trying to find a more recent article, but just on the on, on this one alone proves kind of the point is that from 2008 to 2018, the amount of homes owned by investors doubled. The amount of investors buying homes doubled.
1: The amount of homes
0: owned by investors. The amount of investors buying. The amount of homes owned by investors. Okay. So the amount the amount of homes owned by investors right doubled from 2008 till 2018. That's not accounting the last two years that we keep, yeah. you know, it's been going. I imagine it kept going higher and higher. It doesn't count any of our properties we bought. Yeah, we're not here. Um, so you're looking at that, and you're seeing that a lot of the inventory, there, it's a large percentage of the inventory is being sold to investors. You know what I'm saying? So now you hurting investors. Well, you putting this out is gonna hurt investors. It's gonna hurt that. So. There might be more inventory available yeah so yeah i mean I, I thought that was a very interesting thing and we were talking about it like what that's going to do because we have investors uh, part of that mastermind that they were, they were like yeah i use fanny fanny loans fhas to pick up my rentals Oh, so, time to find maybe some private money lenders or get creative or you know because and
1: you, or you just realize it's like hey you're it's just going to be less profitable that's just how it's going so have have to be have more
0: money on the deal
1: or you have to yeah you just have to have a longer term approach a longer term strategy for it. nobody wants to see paying more for it but it's also like the reason you're paying more is because you already own 10
0: 15, well, and that's what properties. i find crazy is how many investors do we speak to that leaving money in the deal to them is is not investing they're yeah. like oh, i didn't get into this to be leaving money in the deal and i'm like Yeah, I didn't get into this. You didn't get into this to invest in real estate? Like, what the hell are you saying? You understand? Like, when you're investing in real estate, you need to be investing in real estate. As long as the numbers make sense, your valuation makes sense, everything makes sense. Like, what are you saying here? You know what I mean? Like, you have to understand that. It's like, yeah, some properties, you're going to have to leave some money in. You understand? But it doesn't make it a bad deal because you're having to leave money in. And then what I find interesting is people have been struggling to generate deals. Yet, nobody wants to do any type of marketing. Nobody wants to do anything that, to generate their own deals. Yeah. And they're like, you know, oh, I wanna, why can't I just get, get it from wholesalers? So, wholesalers don't need to sell to you. You're, you're a smarter investor, you're trying to buy properties that make sense. Yeah. And, invest, and wholesalers are finding investors that, are willing to pay substantially and that's more.
1: what I'm hoping this does to disincentivize people from just like jumping in from all over the place that like, oh, i'm going to become an investor and start buying up these properties when they like they they say they're in tech and they got a bunch of money and they're gonna start yeah. buying two, three, four, five, six houses and stuff like that and diversify like I'm hoping it scares that buyer out of the market because they're the ones that are uneducated don't know the work, they don't know the market, they don't know the process, but they're willing to just trust somebody else's numbers and they put their money down, which artificially inflates prices to a point that it's just like, it just doesn't make sense for somebody that makes a living only on real estate or in the local market. Cause that's where I made the coins. Like who is buying? I know everybody's selling. Like everyone's selling, 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 selling. I don't like I don't know very many investors that are buying from the wholesalers locally anymore. No. It's like, who is it that's buying? It's like, and it's out of state people. Yeah. As people that just wanted to come to Texas because Texas is open, Texas free, the values, everyone's moving here. They see the, and the coolness of it. And they put their money in there. And like, it's like, well, yeah, that, that didn't work out that well though. And the only thing they were getting pulled out is because their value, their equity was increasing and they were able to sell and the market, pulled them out. Well, then they told the friend, but they don't realize the market pulled them out. So they just say, yeah, I made 20 grand by buying this flip in Texas. Like, yeah, you made 20 grand. Cause it took you a year, but, uh, that's not how this is done so that kind of spins that up out buying here i'm hoping yeah. these new regulations these new things actually uh disincentivize people from uh buying it but uh, i wanted to get in this article mm-hmm. about uh the housing market at a tipping point after a stunningly successful year during a pandemic and so this is some of the arguments of why real estate's set to crash or not crash but they're saying it's the bubble set to pop what are they defining as popping uh, originally when you read the article you're like oh man they're expecting a crash what's their argument It's really just more well the market's going to kind of slow down it's not really going to fall but they say home prices are overheated mortgage rates are rising the supply of homes of, for sale is anemic and consumer confidence in the housing market is falling pandemic related mortgage bailouts are set in and, and pandemic related mortgage bailouts are set to expire this summer so that's their kind of issue of why uh things are not gonna look all rosy moving forward. So Lawrence Yoon, the in uh National Association of Realtors chief economist, stated that the home sales market will experience countervailing forces of the higher push for one for more jobs, but also the pullback of higher mortgage rates, said Yoon after the February employment report was released. We will have to wait to see which force will be stronger. So they're saying you have a force where like higher push for more jobs, but then also the pulling back, uh, and higher mortgage rates kind of are two conflicting factors of like, what's going to happen. More jobs prices increase here in San Antonio. Cause more people come here, but rising rates kind of counteract that of just like, Hey, you can't buy housing here. Cause it's getting more expensive. So you have those two uh, forces. So home buyers have already caused loss considerable spending power to be specific. A home buyer loses 23 or, in spending power with a mortgage rate at 3.25 versus a 2.75% rate. So the rates are already holding over three to your point up from where they were last year. So people are losing spending power at a very rapid rate. Newly built homes have always come at a price premium, but now about 75 million households, roughly 60% of all U.S. households, are not able to afford a median price new home, according to a fresh calculation by the National Association of Home Builders. Nationwide, 58% of home offers written by Redfin agents facing bidding wars in January, up from 53% in December. That makes nine straight months in which more than half of all offers saw competition. Higher prices have added about $26,000 to the construction costs of the average new home, according to the National Association of Home Builders. As a result, some builders, including several of the nation's largest, are actually slowing production, not speeding it up, hoping prices will ease soon. The number of single-family home permits permitted but not started jumped to 9.6 in December and was 28% higher than a year earlier. So builders themselves are saying like, hey, these costs are ridiculous. It's already added $26,000 to the cost. We're just going to slow production. Now that's, but you have this massive buyer demand. And so you see competitive offers coming in and prices getting so high with rising mortgage rates. That's why they're just saying, like, hey, things can't continue this way. Like, there's no inventory. There's. Prices are increasing the lumber to get there. So builders are now even slowing their production, trying to say, we're not not going to consume the lumber until the lumber prices catch back up and the prices fall. And then they start going into it. So I think that's more their article that, or their point of why prices are going to fall.
0: Well, and then they're kind of doing what the oil industry always does, where if prices are starting to drop, they decrease their inventory. They decrease how much oil they're, putting out in the market to get oil prices up so they can start turning a profit. So it seems like builders that can afford to do so are, and we've seen it where we were looking at buying some lots where they're buying all the lots up and just sitting on them. You know, they're just, just waiting. They'll, They'll build one house, sell it, let that price go up, let that, you know, hit the market. Then they'll build another house, sell it for a little bit higher. So they keep kind of, you know, kind of almost like cost averaging, right? Over the course of the whole development, they make a profit. And the first couple houses, not as much. The last couple ones, a lot more, right? So, and where that sucks is for people like us, right? For the smaller people that we don't have the millions of dollars to buy these lots and just sit on them for a year, you know, and just hold them. You know, it requires a lot of money. To be able to do stuff like that, so, um, I, I, I think the whole headline obviously is to capture people, but I don't think that the market is gonna crash. I think it's gonna or prices, housing market is gonna it's in a bubble in any form, but it is local, where yeah. it depends where you live, how the real estate market will be affected. Again, if you're in Florida or Texas, where we're having a large influx of people coming in consistently, you know, because we keep having more and more companies coming to Texas, more and more businesses. Those businesses are going to need people, right? They're going to need talent. So the more you see that growth, it's like, well, there's still demand. Yeah. And it's one of those two,
1: but it's also moving to Texas and Florida is going to become less and less attractive because they move their company here for tax advantage and things like that, but then they can't get people here. Like they're, they're trying to move their companies, but like the housing prices were cheap two years ago, yeah. but now values have gotten so hard and so competitive. Like, our people can't physically buy houses there to move that many people to the area. Or, and that's another reason like housing prices has increased because these wealthier individuals have come here and are willing to pay, waive contingencies, pay cash, yeah. and say, you know what, the house, uh, praise that. 200, but I have a contract at 220. I will put the extra money down. Um,
0: what What about that property that we have a friend here that he was going to list for what was it 160 165? And 160, you're
1: like, yeah, it originally we went in 160. He was going to put it 169. I was like, dude, like you're at an in demand price point. Yeah, like there's no housing. Like, pump it up a little bit. See see what happens. And then they listed it higher and still had the the amount of showings. This was just example. yesterday, so I don't know uh, how it all played out but uh, another thing that's interesting that uh, so when you have these kind of issues coming out like what do people do so they obviously do regulations they obviously are trying to find ways to slow the market down like this so the market can get back to its equilibrium but another choice is to innovate uh the housing shortage also jump-started the fledgling fledging Fledgling business of 3D printed a homes. Fledge are you saying? Yeah, fledgling business of 3D printed homes. Several companies are now jumping in with plans for whole 3D printed communities. One of them, one of them, Icon, which had already printed a small community in Austin, Texas for the homeless. Just completed its first for sale community in partnership with Developer Three Strands. So like it's, it's trying to innovate. They're trying to find ways to build housing cheaper at a lower cost to bring pricing, housing prices down. So one of these that like the 3d printed homes, I mean, something we've been hearing about for probably a decade or more Mm -hmm. of people trying to innovate and create. So it'll be interesting to see where it, uh, where it all plays out.
0: And that kind of goes again in that, in that mastermind, we had a, a friend talking about the container homes, right? And he was talking about like, it's, Durability when it comes to putting it near the coast and where it gets hit a lot with uh, hurricanes and stuff like that. He was saying how it makes it as a smart investment. You're having some institutional investor uh, banks and stuff like that actually lend on container homes, which before they weren't. Yeah. So you know these are these are trends. I still feel like these are kind of speculative right now because it's just you know there isn't like a large at least in our area, there isn't like a, a large buyer acceptance on container homes and, and stuff like it's kind of this funky. Yeah. But that being said, it's like, as soon as banks start accepting it and start lending on it, it will become something, yeah. you know? And then you have the 3D printed home. So properties can be put up a lot faster. Properties yeah, can so be they, built they, a They lot want, they want the
1: big house on a big lot and everything like that, but it costs $500,000, but you can get a Container home get the same style of mortgage at the same uh, significantly less of a cost of two hundred thousand and you can get that same type of financing on it. it's like well I got to live somewhere so I'm gonna take that yeah so I mean I think agree it's a speculative space but it's also a developing space that can be innovated and great profit can come from it if you're very educated understand the space and
0: can work within that yeah so, so yeah. kind of to touch in on the opportunities for anybody that's uh. Listening from San Antonio or investing in San Antonio, uh, there's a 124 acre mixed use development planned near Toyota plant. So, as builders continue to tap into the potential of the South Side with new local jobs on the horizon, a proposed mixed use community could bring hundreds of homes and apartment units, as well as some commercial space near the Toyota uh, manufacturing plant. And The new zoning decision that's going to be made on April 4th would allow developers to build a mixed-use project on the site with residential retail service and office uses as opposed to being tied to single-family homes on lot sized at a minimum of 15,000 square feet. They were capping these off at a lot size of a minimum of 15,000 square feet. Talk about a lot of land that's just being wasted there when right now they're building homes in lot sizes of like 0.08. Yeah. You know what 15, I mean? Ten thousand. What is that? About well, no less than more than that. Yeah. Like, I think so. 43,000 is an acre thousand. So over a quarter acre. Yeah. So, you know, so that was the requirement before now they're, they're rezoning where they can pretty much just build as however they want to use the land 0.06 is the 0.04 is where it's like, yeah, you got a 10 by 10 backyard. Yeah. Well, you might not even have a yard at that point. It's just like that, that, um, very condensed space of, you know, just vibrant living where you have shops, you have everything. It's its own community. So they're talking about 5.27 acres of commercial land, 255 multi family units on 14 acres, 467 single family homes at four to six units per acre. Four to six units per acre, single family homes. So that's what it was, or that's what it is? No, that's what the plans are. That's what they're proposing. So they're proposing four to six houses on one acre of land. So a quarter acre and under. Huh? A so quarter an acre and under per right. house. Totaling 58 acres, a trail surrounding, and moving through the property. Several new resident developments have been in the works across Southside throughout the last year. The zoning commission approved a zoning that, a zoning change Tuesday for Laredo developer planning a community of 530,000 single-family homes near Southside Lions Park. The commission approved a zoning change in January for another single-family project as part of the community that would bring more than 800 homes to a, a 127 acre site on Mickey Road. Also, I looked up Mickey Road and it seems to be around that Toyota plant area. Um, yeah, a lot of south southside. Well, the land was just significantly cheaper down there. Yeah. And then you have Vida, a $250 million master plan community just north of of Texas A&M University in San Antonio's Southside campus. About 6 miles northeast from uh Watson Road project broke ground this month. So then you have South Star Communities, the development team behind the 400 acre property is first focusing on housing geared towards Texas A&M students and facu- faculty. So if you're looking for where to invest and you're looking for deals, I mean, all of these developments, all of these things are going to start making the South side. It's going to bring a lot of tax dollars. Yeah. So there, all that tax money is going to go into infrastructure, infrastructure like the that. roads and all that. And as we've seen, as we've seen when they're redeveloping, you know, Dignity and Denver Heights and all these other areas, as they start bringing in more tax dollars, the, the area changes, right? So you're going to see that gentrification in those areas as well. But if you are a buy and hold investor, this is where you can probably still get some great deals. And by great deals, I'm talking about reasonable prices and that probably are still cash flowing. Because in the meantime, while people can or can't qualify for for a mortgage, they'll rent. You know what I mean? Rentals, I think, are every time I read anything like this, I'm like, rentals is where it's at. You know, like rentals is where you can right now, like as they raise interest rates and they put all these requirements and they do all these things. Like I think more and more you're going to see people. It's easier to just come get a rental while they figure out where the hell they're going to go. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I, I don't know. I look at it, the South side. I'm like, Oh, there's a a lot of opportunity down there. Oh, there's a lot of land. There's a lot of very old housing, that the thing
1: is like you just got to be able to get the house cheap enough to bring it up to current standards where a lot of them have foundation issues don't have ac they have electrical problems they have oh. roofs uh, like the, there's just old things that were done back when those houses were built that don't pass today right. so i mean for sure the south side is something that is interesting uh and traditionally it was a area of town where that's where you saw people doing only owner finance because like houses didn't go in the market. the values were never there to uh, to be able you couldn't buy a house cheap enough Put the level of work it needed to be into it to sell it to a retail buyer with a retail loan we couldn't couldn't even
0: run comps in those areas because you would go on the mls and there was like
1: yeah nothing nothing. listed yeah so this this those values increasing in that side of town is going to be good for the real estate market on that side yeah um because i mean it's one of the things like owner financing in our opinion like isn't the best thing when values are no kind of like it's essentially investing in a bond it's like I'm selling paper and I just get a debt payment. All you do. So I think this is something that's going to be good for San Antonio and good for the South side. Cause if you do drive over there, yeah, the infrastructure does need a lot of work. Like the sidewalks need to be put in a lot of those areas. Don't have sidewalks at all. They don't even have a Starbucks, (laughs) no curb and gutter, no on the road. So uh, flooding is an issue. Water control is an issue. So with these developments, those tax dollars going into those areas, I will see those areas starting to become more developed. Uh Uh, and, and it's I know growing that way.
0: And I know it sounds funny, but like the, the Starbucks thing is a real thing to keep an eye for because Starbucks and companies like that they look at economic data to see where they're going to be putting up a shop. I, I mean, I don't know right now. I haven't been to Southside in quite some time. But when I used to do a lot of the, uh, we used to get a lot of de- uh, leads and deals on the Southside that we have to go see properties and everything. There wasn't a Starbucks anywhere. There was only one Starbucks. In, the Air Force, uh, in one of the military bases down there, um, which I didn't know it was a military base at the time until I tried to drive through and they were not having it. Um, they don't have Starbucks down there. And that's because the price point that Starbucks targets is not down there. Yeah. Right? So if you see a Starbucks opening up in an area, typically that means that they have the analytics and the data showing that, hey, there's a it's clientele gonna, this, here for this. This is going to pay off. So, you know, that, that to me is another little little gem there that you can uh, kind of just keep an eye on, you know, when you're in areas that are distressed and all of a sudden you see a Starbucks go up, it's like, huh, I wonder, you know, what this area has. Um, any other, any direction you want to head in particular? I mean, one thing that I wanted to kind of touch on
1: is I know it's one thing that I, you have strong opinions about is. I don't like have this-
0: strong opinions about anything
1: the the monopoly that uh, Amazon is becoming of like, they just control their in a space of everywhere. Like I heard an advertisement for Amazon pharmacy where it's like, you can go and it's like, Hey, next time you go to your doctor, say that you want to be put into Amazon pharmacy. And they, as long as you have a prime membership, boom, two day shipping, you get your meds there now. So it's like, So now Amazon is controlling your medical space. They're getting into the medical space now. They're already in the TV space and they just finalized to where NFL finalizes new 11 year media deal. Amazon getting exclusive Thursday night football games. If you want to watch Thursday night football, you got to watch it on Amazon,
0: Amazon prime.
1: Yeah, well, I would assume because they're not they're not on Comcast yep. or anything like that. So the National Football League has finalized its new 11-year media rights agreement with a pact that will run through 2033 and could be worth over 100 billion dollars. The league announced Thursday it's renewing TV rights with all of its existing broadcast partners and adding Amazon prime video as an exclusive partner for its Thursday night football package. It's the time. The first time a streaming service will carry a full package of games. Exclusively. Amazon is paying about 1 billion per year. According to people familiar with the matter, Amazon deal runs. Amazon's deal runs 10 years and begins in 2023. Viacom, Fox, and Com—this is the part that I found interesting. So Amazon's paying one billion for that right. Viacom, CBS, Fox, and Comcast, which owns NBC, NBC Universal, are all paying more than two billion per year for their eleven-year-long package while Disney, which owns ESPN and ABC, will paying around $2.7 billion annually, according to people familiar with the matter. Using those numbers, the NFL's new agreement projects to be more than $100 billion, the richest U.S. sports league media deal. So it's one of those that Amazon's now getting into this the streaming space of football, gets an exclusive right for Thursday, and only paying $1 billion. But then you got Viacom, Fox, Comcast, and Disney all paying in excess of $2 billion for their part of the deal. So it's one of those like, how is that not starting to be like preferential treatment in the market? Because you are who you are like, well, we'll give you a good deal, but we're not going to give anybody else a deal. And so now they're moving into that space. And now with everything they're already into their web space, their um, space exploration, their cars, like everything they're moving into. It's like at some point you got to ask like, so what is Amazon's game plan here? Because they know if they become an op, the government can step in and break them up. Or they're just like, you know what, screw it. We're going to keep going bigger and bigger and bigger until we control so
0: much that we do get broken up. And they're just okay with that aspect. Well, so to, to that point a little bit, I was reading an article. I didn't put it in here because I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe. But this kind of ties into it. AT&T, for a lot of its customer, it gives you free access to HBO Max doesn't give you free access. You pay for it in your thing, but. It gives you free access to HBO Max, right? Um, California just enforced a net neutrality law, which forces AT&T to, now AT&T cannot be given that for free. So now what AT&T is going to do is it's going to shift from giving you HBO Max for free to now uh, whatever you use for HBO Max is going to come off your data plan. So unless you have unlimited internet, it's going to consume if you watch a movie that's supposedly, you know, 1.5 gigabytes, right? Yeah. Uh which is kind of like your standard 1080 uh you know, HD movie, it's going to consume 1.5 gigabytes of your right. data. So you're, you know, to that point it's like becoming a monopoly you you still seem to have A lot of the free market and stuff like that, that is kind of coming in. And then you can always count on California to come out with some freaking law to, you know, fight something. Um, So they're they're coming out with this net neutrality that's forcing AT&T to now start doing that and stop giving away the free service of HBO Max to its customers. And you look at it across the board, how many services, I want to say it was T-Mobile, one of them, that when you become, when you get a plan with them, you get free Hulu. Yeah. Right. And when you uh, with other, they give you incentives like that, so now then, all these net neutrality and all these things, I think is gonna start making it harder for either some of them to completely dominate. You know what I mean? And we see it in. I've seen it in soccer this whole time. So in soccer, you have what I used to watch is uh, La Liga. La Liga is the Spanish uh, soccer league from Spain the yeah. actual Spanish soccer league. They've bounced around from network to network on rights. It has made it so freaking annoying to watch games, you know, and I used to watch that one. And then sometimes I used to watch the English premier league or, you know, the the French league or the Italian league. And this service had rights to this league, that service had right to that league. And next thing you know, I need to have like five different services to watch soccer. Yeah, And I was like, this is just stupid. And every year it, it will switch services, you know, and then it will go to this other service and that other service just for that one channel. Oh, we give you 25 channels that are completely pointless. You got to pay $15. Well, that's the way it is right now.
1: I mean, becoming here in, uh, and what I like, I fear is Disney Plus has got a new movie or Disney's got a new movie, a movie, movie coming out, but it's only streaming on Disney Plus
0: to where like now, like, but they charge you. Yeah. Disney Plus charges. No, they charge you... So that's the difference like between Disney Plus and like HBO Max, right? HBO has uh, the Justice League movie that just came out. I can't wait to watch it. Um, they have that one that just came out. You, as long as you have HBO Max, yeah. you can watch it for free. Yeah. Disney, on the other hand, like when they came out with that stupid-ass Mulan movie, um, they charge you $20 to watch it. Yeah. And now they're... Well, they, that's what, that's what sucks. Is like, besides you know, the
1: membership. Yeah, besides the $6 membership. Um, 6 a six ninety nine or something like that, but uh, or that's what it was when it I'm came out a year ago. A six ninety nine a year ago or something like that, but now it's like when, yeah. with all these desegregated platforms like we talked about last week. Like if you want to see a movie, you got to go buy this service. Yeah. you want to see this movie? Oh, that's only been releasing over here. You want to go buy that? You've got to see it over here. It's where that's like. $120 a month just for all these streaming service just to see the movies I want to watch and I can't even go to the movie theaters anymore because just, they just don't even put movies out. Or like if Disney's got all of that viewership they're like a hundred million people in the first year on their platform, it's like, why do we need to give that piece of pie away to all these other distribution companies to play a movie in theaters when we can just put it on our own platform? And yeah. be fine. And it's 100%. like Netflix is going to start doing it. Hulu is going to start doing it. HBO Max is going to do it. To where well, I-
0: Netflix did it with that uh, one movie that was unnecessarily long, but um, man, uh, with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, what the hell, The Irishman, The Irishman. Uh, it, it was a big blockbuster movie, and they released it in theaters for like two weeks, and then just released it on Netflix, yeah. which was a huge issue. You know, there, there was a huge. Pro- we talked about it here. It was a huge problem, but they released it. It was a premiere movie, and they released it. So that's where I'm worried where
1: this is going to go, just like the experience over there. It's like everything just bounces around constantly, and you can't just stick with one thing, and it's just going to get very annoying, or it's like, eh, screw it. But I'm I'm okay with it because I don't watch much TV at all. No, of course, but it's just
0: something to, you know. Now, one thing that I did want to talk, kind of shifting gears, unless you have something that piggybacks on that. Nope. So shifting gears... Could a coronavirus vaccine passport be coming? Oh, here we go.
1: Politics. Last 15 minutes, let's go politics.
0: Oh, unless you have some, you know, I don't have anything until 1030. I've got we can things go. to do. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> but they, so they have, they're talking about a vaccine passport. Um, this article is actually very interesting because they had a, a point of view from a doctor. Let's see, where was he from? So some doctor from some school somewhere. Can't remember very descriptive yeah okay so dr jason bowling uh, is the hospital ep- epidemiologist at university health so here's what the article talks about the vaccine it says with more people getting the coronavirus vaccine worldwide a vaccine passport may soon be needed to travel or return to school or the office so It's not just a passport for you to fly, but even to go to school or to even go to work. They're talking about several organizations and tech companies, including Microsoft, Apple and Google, are looking into ways to offer these certificates. Mm -hmm. So they're already looking for ways to, you know, monetize on it, which is it's fine. Right. But what you have is for for more than three million Israelis and counting, this is the ticket back to normalcy. Their government issued Green Pass proves they've had two doses of COVID-19 vaccine. So you have pretty much those uh, countries already are applying it. You have these companies like, you know, Apple and my, where the hell did the article go? Okay. Um, You have Apple, Google, and all of them that are, are starting to push for it because they're pretty much offering the, the certificates that you're going to need. So it's kind of like a biased situation. And now that they control all the search engines, it's like they're going to dominate the narrative. They're going to dominate everything. Yeah. And if they start requiring you to get a passport to be able to go to school, to be able to send your kids to school, to be able to go to work, you know, and let alone I mean, they're, travel. They're, they're,
1: they're already doing it here because I know like people have gotten the vaccine. They're given a card that shows that they got that, uh, first vaccine
0: yeah yeah so i mean bowling had some good points he says i think there are some things that need to be sorted out hopefully for a long time but uh so he says that uh one problem is not knowing how long how long protection the vaccine lasts hopefully for a long time but it may need a booster the virus that causes covid there are variants so they can impact how well those vaccines work And the tricky part is you don't want to give people a false sense of security because these vaccines aren't 100% effective. You don't want someone to say, oh, well, I have my vaccine passport, but they're not taking the other precautions that are still needed, like wearing a mask and social distancing. Uh, Then he says, unanswered questions, if all three vaccines will qualify for the passport, then you're going to need an agreement with other countries on which vaccines they're going to accept. Will they only take Pfizer or will they take all COVID-19 vaccines? And then uh, Dr. Boling said fake vaccine passports could become a problem. You have to make it something that people can't forge. If it's a paper document, there's going to be an issue with forging it. So you'll probably need electronic passes. And then countries across Europe and beyond and consider similar so-called vaccine passports or immuni- immunity certificates to inject like back into struggling economies. So to be able to just get back to normalcy. I think there's still some things to work out before we can see practical practically enabled. Uh, certainly the tourism industry wants it to happen. There's a lot of pressure to make happen. So we'll see how this develops. So... Here's my thing with all this, right, is one, would you get the vaccine if it's forcing you to travel, right? If it's forcing you to do things yeah, that you need it. I mean, that's needed. one
1: thing. Like, if they, they force upon it to where, like, you can't do anything in the world without having it, yeah, you're going to have to get it if you want to live that kind of lifestyle. It's like Or you drastically change your lifestyle to where it's like you stay in your house and you never leave. Yeah, and it's like they're, they're very easily could come about that way and trying to force it on. It's like you can't go into a grocery store. You can't get on an airplane. You can't get into a movie theater. You can't go, you can't do anything without a passport or this vaccine certification. Yeah. So if they wanted to, they very easily could. Where it's like, nope, they will force you to do it if they well, want and to. And
0: then they said, you know, one was talking about it with Val and she was like, well, how can, you know, yeah, will this really happen? I was like, well, when you have Google, Apple Amazon backing it, and then you have the tourist uh, tourism industry backing it, airlines backing it because that would be the quickest way back to normalcy yeah. you know what I mean like you have a lot of money backing it when you have a lot of money it's like how does it not become policy well it's also then like who else is going to back it at the point your pharmaceuticals,
1: which spends the most money out of any industry, lobbying politics like of course they want it because
0: they make the money from it so and then I was reading an article- Never let a good crisis go to waste. No shit, yeah. And I was reading an article with, uh, from Entrepreneur Magazine that they were talking about um, uh, a survey done by en- Envoy that workplace technology, 48% of workers would like a mix of working from home and coming into the office, with 41% saying they'd be willing to trade higher salary For the ability to work remotely part-time and 47% saying they would leave their current job if their company didn't offer a hybrid option post-pandemic 39% would base their schedule around what they need to get done that day and 37% would decide when to visit the office based on who else will be there that day among office workers the portion was higher with 52% saying they would plan their schedules around their workers. So, the amount of people that are just, they want that flexibility now. They got used to it, they like it, they like being home. You know, they like working from home, they like being able to just, you know, hey, as long as I get my shit done, I don't need to be working eight hours. You know what I'm saying? So, a, a work model that mixes remote work with coming into a physical office to collaborate with others, is increasingly looking like the most likely outcome when office life can return to some form of normalcy with major companies like Amazon and Google saying they'll likely adopt some type of hybrid model for their employees. And then you have uh, Amazon Web Services CEO, Andy Jassy, who will take over as Amazon's uh, chief executive in the third quarter of this year. My suspicion is that a lot of these office buildings will start to evolve from being optimized for individual offices or cube space to being hot offices, where you decide which day you're going to come in and then you reserve a desk. And uh, and he put, and then the, you have Google CEO uh, Kai. Try. <laughs> Kai. Google CEO. Pikachu. Uh, So you have Google CEO. The future is just 100% remote. We firmly believe that in person, being together, having that sense of community is super important. uh, Super important for whenever you have to solve hard problems. You have to have something new. You have to have something new. Travel giant Trivago and real estate firm Zillow, software firm VMware, and cloud computing giant Salesforce have all said they're adopting some type of hybrid, work, hybrid model for working going forward. So you add the, the possible passport requirement, you add that people want to have this hybrid. I mean, that's going to affect real estate as well, because now you're going to have people that rather live somewhere, maybe where they actually want to live or somewhere where it's more affordable oh, I to mean, live.
1: That's what's happening right now with like California. I'm representing somebody right now that's leaving California for that exact reason. It's like, I don't have to live here. So I don't wanna live here anymore. And they're picking up and moving and they keep their same jobs and everything. They're moving to here to Texas. So is the job here in Texas or no,
0: they're working remotely? They're working
1: remotely. They can both yep. have the ability to work from home full time. They're like, so why do we gotta stay? We love our community. We love where we have our house and everything. So we just hate the politics of the state and they're yeah. leaving. And prod- like, that, that's what's happening in a lot of places. It's happening more and more and more. And you hear that. That's why people move into Florida. That's why people move to Texas. That's why people can see they're moving to less
0: regulated, seem to be more mm-hmm. red States where
1: businesses are going. So,
0: And I think this is going to be a huge shift. Cause I remember when I was in New York looking to where, where to move to, right. Where it made sense. And I was looking into Texas. I remember back then you were looking at where are their professional teams? Where are there people moving to? What are the jobs, job diversification, all of this? And those are the cities that you kind of want to look at. So now my thought is if people are going to be like, yeah, you know, you used to want to live in those places, but they've gotten so expensive that now I'd rather move to this smaller town because I can work remotely. Now, do those small towns become more attractive, uh, attract more of those sports teams as well because now people are kind of shifting from those expensive cities to more of the suburb areas are the team you get what i'm saying like how's density going to look like when that shift happens are people are still going to want to be in crowded cities expensive cities when they don't have to be you know I mean, is it that, depends on
1: the lifestyle you're looking for because obviously yeah. in highly dense crowded areas you do have way more amenities um local areas than you do and something that's spread out in rural mm-hmm. america like a sports stand i don't see sports stadiums targeting smaller communities because they still need people to show up that's where their big tickets come from and right. like if you try to go to a football game it's like a hundred dollars a ticket yeah and like they're big corporate sponsors that's why they say san antonio lost out when the raiders were moving around it's like we just now didn't have enough big money here to pay for the corporate sponsorships to fill those skyboxes like they needed
0: oh and um, you also have st- stupid old money here that they are more focused on, you know, just like controlling what they control where they're, they're not focused on allowing the new stuff to hit San Antonio. And we've had companies that wanted to come to San Antonio and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you can come here, but if you want an office space, you need to get it downtown. And the company is like, no, I want to get it outside of 1604 because it's less expensive. They're like, no, if you don't get it downtown, then you can't open here. Yeah, that
1: was like, stupid. Boston.
0: They went to Austin it's like dude that was still going to bring a hundred thousand jobs like yeah what what the hell does it matter where they're positioned like you know oh because we want a vibrant downtown okay, put that in your Christmas list, but like you know you got to take the businesses as they come yeah, you know what I'm saying so yeah so I, I don't know I mean personally if all you needed was the vaccine passport to travel, I wouldn't get it because I could give two shits about traveling you know what I mean and I'm not I and it's not even about like the whole politics of COVID, not COVID. My issue is more of like how quickly this vaccine was pushed through, and it didn't go through the necessary trials that a vaccine typically goes through that takes like over like a two years to go through. Well, and it's but like, it, but it did. Because, no, well, it didn't. Well, it's because like what it did is like because we had
1: way more. Cases to test it on, because you look at like why vaccines take so long is because they have to give it
0: to a bunch of random people and see
1: how the virus spreads among those people. But since COVID but spread over
0: time, but they need to see what the reactions are over time, what, how how the vaccine reacts over time. They still need time to see how that should adverse reacts. reactions, not the testing yeah. was effectiveness. Oh, even its effectiveness. Like they still said, they're like, we don't know its effectiveness because we don't know as the vac- as a virus mutates and changes and everything, is the vaccine still going to be affected to- towards that? They don't know because it hasn't been out long enough for them to test it. So they, they're they like, and this was, uh, I was talking to a doctor. I can't remember which doctor. It was, a, I, wonder, I don't know. But he was telling me the same thing. He's like, no, they didn't do the proper testings that is typically done with all this. And he's like, it was pushed through. You know, the initial testing looked good, and they pushed it through. They're yeah. like, but we just don't know what we don't know about it. Well, they still don't even fully know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if two over two
1: years, like, how's a vaccine going to treat in somebody's body used over exactly. and over and over and, and over And then they don't even...
0: Now they're already testing with babies and kids to see how that goes. I'm like, Jesus, I, I could just see you, you wanting to put up your kid as a freaking guinea pig to see how this vaccine is going to work out. Like, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of medicine. That's my personal thing like i mean i i've even taken ibuprofens like i gotta be in pain for me to take ibuprofen right like i'm not uh, i'm not a person that the mildest headache um taking a pill like no i gotta be in quite a bit of discomfort for me to do something i don't like medicine i don't like all those things and so it's like putting in a vaccine just to be able to travel is like stay home i'm fine i don't need to travel I'm not gonna do that now. Once it's been tested but enough, if they, if
1: they force it, like you literally just can't live your house. Leave your house, like you can't go to Home Depot, you can't go to Lowe's, you can't go to grocery stores, you can't go get gas, you can't go to grocery stores. Like if they force it towards like that level, or like, what do you well, do? What, what
0: are we talking about? Military on the street? We're living in a communistic society. No, like like how the like, hell do you force go, it?
1: You go to pay gas. Like it's a part of your card. If your card, it's attached to your debit card, your credit card. I was like you get vaccinated i, I and will
0: figure out ways first to forge and fake that shit before i put in something that i'm not don't get, like again i'm not against huh oh yeah, yeah Oh, it, i agree it, and like i don't think it'll get it to that, that level it's like
1: i think the more yeah. you'd have people revolt in masses if it's like, i would hope so but you.
0: but one of the things that i'm looking like like i said once it's been tested that you're like okay this vaccine's been in the public like We've had a full cycle, at least, of COVID that we saw, okay, the next winter came by, you know what I mean? Did we see more spikes? Is it dying down? Are we seeing more variants? How's the vaccine react? Once we get all that and we're like, okay, everything's cool, you know, nobody's developed a third head, well, uh, you know, a third eye or something like that, um, I'll consider it. Yeah. But it, right now, no. Yeah. Right now, no. It's yeah, we'll like, oh, just- you can't go anywhere. Cool. Everybody delivers. But, I
1: mean, it's one of the things like you' would look at the rates of like what the testing rates, the positive rates, and like the the hospitalization rates like they're they're dropping like a rock like here in San Antonio, the rates that like they put out every day. I hadn't seen one in a long time and I saw one. you well, you're
0: out. gonna upset Nuremberg,
1: he's the one that's saying it. he's the one that puts it out, and it's like they were hitting like seven fourteen hundred cases a day kind of thing like yeah. two or three months ago, and it's down like a hundred and fifty uh, and testing the positive rates way down because it
0: needed to go That's that that was the whole shit it's like the lockdown i get the lockdown happened initially because it would have overwhelmed the hospitals it would have i completely understand everybody prepared for a second wave the second wave comes which everybody knew about yet the hospitals were still not prepared like how would you not prepare for a second wave so the numbers were still the same like we still needed if we had a certain amount of people above this number we would be overwhelmed it's like, how did you not dedicate more hospitals, more room, open well, up they, other offices? Well, that's
1: the problem. It's like, they didn't have the staff. Great. You open up more hospitals, you get more equipment, but you don't, you can't just hire, you and I go in there and start treating COVID patients. I don't know. I, I don't mean, because literally you talk to nurses, like they're working double shifts. They're like yeah. 18 hours, going home, get six hours sleep, go right back to the yeah, hospital. Yeah, but you had
0: like, when, when the spike happened, you had, in Texas, it wasn't as bad as like New York. You had so many nurses go from Texas to New York. Yeah, You know, like you couldn't tell me that you couldn't get nurses from North Dakota or freaking places where maybe they weren't as popular. But I think that's
1: the problem is like everyone was having the spikes. So like they were short changed on staffing. Like, yes, they could get nurses from somewhere else, but those nurses were staying there because they needed it there.
0: Well, Mr. Kool-Aid, man, as long as you want to (laughs) keep, I don't know. To me, it's just a lot of inefficiencies that I just don't understand when you have unlimited pocketbooks to do all this shit and yet it doesn't get done. I don't know. Just my thing. But with that being said, we did hit our uh, two hour mark. So, and Mr. John apparently is busy, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> we'll begin wrapping up this episode. So remember guys, if you found this valuable, hit that like button, support us, help us out. You know, if you're, if you're liking watching this, share it with your friends, invite people, you know, let them know what we're doing, what, why we're putting out all this information. Uh, you know, we our hopes is that you're educated, you are informed, and you try to make decisions based on your understanding of things and not because it's trending or because it's hot. Like That's why we try to break down all these issues. So with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed it and you have an amazing weekend and we will catch you all next week.
1: Bye.